I am very excited to say that this podcast was brought to you with support from the Arts Council England's National Lottery Projects Grants. Hello, I'm Gabrielle Scorthorn and this is Back From Reality. When I was 17 years old, my dad smuggled me out of a school excursion so that I could line up for hours at my local Westfield to audition for the reality television show Fresh Meat where I would be competing to be a presenter on Channel V, which sounds pretty legit. But when you're plucked from suburban obscurity and thrust into the public eye in a world of sex, drugs and rock and roll, and you're not even legal, shit goes down. What happened over the next few months shaped the rest of my life in ways that I'm still discovering today. In this series of podcasts, I will be speaking with a different guest each week from the world of reality television. These chats will cover the highs and lows of the reality TV experience, how their lives have changed as a result, and what it's like to come back from reality. My guest today is Alex Miller from season four of Love Island UK. Alex was in the Love Island villa for just eight days. He arrived on day 26, coupled with Megan Barton Hansen on day 30 and was dumped on day 33. But those eight days have had a profound impact on the next few years of Alex's life. There are two things that I should warn you about this episode. The first is that Alex recorded the first half of this interview while he was driving. Not something that I would condone or usually recommend. We have tried to clean up the audio as best we can, but there are a couple of moments during the first half of the interview where the connection's a little patchy. The second thing that I should warn you about is that this interview contains a very frank and honest discussion about suicidal ideation. If this is something that might be at all triggering for you right now, then I'd recommend sitting this one out. Don't worry, you won't miss out though. Please shoot me a message and I can give you all the headlines from the interview. What were you hoping to get out of Love Island? Uh, do you know what? I wasn't hoping to get anything out of it when it first sort of came about. It was never the intention of mine. I turned it down for the sort of previous two years. So I, ne- I never wanted to go in there as sort of gaining anything. I, I didn't know what would come of it, didn't know what to expect. See, I, I never really um, had sort of aspirations to become famous. Was to find love ever on the agenda? If I met someone in there, then yeah, brilliant. But I, I, I know how those TV shows would sort of work with that scenario. I mean, out of the four or five series that we've had, you know, there's probably only a handful of couples still left. So what are the actual steps for the Love Island audition process and, and how did you find that process? Um, it depends what way you go through it. So obviously you can you can apply like, online, they've got like an online form or they've got almost like talent scouts sort of scouring like Instagram and, and places like that. They've also got people in the industry that they ask, you know, do you know anyone up for the position sort of thing. Mine sort of came about with a previous, a, a couple of years ago, a contestant went on and um, on her form, she had to put down the last person she was with. That happened to be me. So they tried to get me on on that series, and then the series after, but I'd said sort of no. So they sort of had me on their radar, and um, I've sort of always been in their peripherals ever since that series. So they sort of ran out. I, I accepted, you know, I accepted sort of the interview stage. So I went to the interview in London. You know, that they get sort of filmed. They tell you get your top off and see what you like on camera and then from there I think it was a Tuesday they sent that to producers that are out filming uh, they liked what they saw so I then had like a medical on the Thursday I then flew out on the Sunday so within the space of a week I'd gone from not seeing me to putting me on a plane. Wow I have so many questions from that answer alone. A who was your ex? Who was your ex who got you on the radar? Uh, it wasn't an ex as such it was just um, someone that I'd 
uh, a dalliance. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd rather not say anything. <laughs> Fair enough. I'll, I'll work it out with my powers of deduction later. And you had to get your top off on the first go. Yeah, let's sort of like take your top off. Let's um, let's see what you've got. Look, it's, it's just it's a shallow show. There's no tip down around that. But yeah. Were you a bit uncomfortable at all? Getting my top off in front of someone. Yeah. Well, how many people were in the room? It was one girl about my age. So do you know what? In a group, wouldn't even cross my mind. But in that sort of scenario where there's just one person she's gone case top off that then becomes a, a little bit awkward because you you know you know she's obviously you, they're only asking you just so they could judge you it's that whole sort of like judging experience that um that makes it sort of awkward and a bit nervy so had the show already kind of gone to air because you came in later so when you say and then you flew out on the sunday what what timing was that uh, yeah, so the show had been going maybe three weeks, I believe. So I then went in in the in the Casa Amor section of the show. So that's that's sort of halfway through, isn't it? That's probably week four. So the show had been going for the three weeks. Obviously, I'd, I'd been watching it up until I went, um, not knowing that I was going in until sort of the Monday before I flew. And so this all happened very, very quickly. Did your friends and family have any reservations about you going on to the show? Did you have any reservations? No, friends and family were good. I mean, I didn't really tell a lot of people because they sort of asked you to keep it quiet and a lot of my friends have got big mouths, so I couldn't really uh, I couldn't really tell anyone. There's a, there's a couple of trusted people that I told. Um, also, I told my mum I was going. I didn't tell my dad. Uh, I told my mum I was going. She thought it was an opportunity of a lifetime, so she sort of gave it the all clear. That's all I wanted. Was there a reason that you... Um kept it quiet from your dad uh no only because he's a bit out of touch with tv and what goes on he's quite he's quite an old boy my old man he, he's great he's absolutely cracking but he wouldn't understand what it was he would find it a, a bit strange you going on to a house full of young people looking for love no not, no, not in that sense but it, i mean his view of reality tv is probably the same as a lot of men of his age where that's all naff that's bullshit why, why are you watching that why are people on that blah 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 so I didn't tell him. And then my sister told him that the uh, first day I went on telling and he, he sort of started watching it from there. And because this all happened quite quickly and, you know, you were saying didn't tell too many friends, did you have to tell any dalliances that you were going on the show? Did you have to cut anybody loose? Do you know what? This, this is really awful. I was in um, my ex-girlfriend um, of a few years ago. I, I was sort of back talking to her about stuff and, you know, we were sort of seeing each other on and off. And I told her about this process and she, and she said go. So that, that was a bit that was a bit awkward. I don't know whether she didn't love me anymore, but yeah, she said go for it. So she gave you her blessing to to get out and onto Love Island. She did. What a girl. <laughs> so you only had a few days to prepare. Did you just work out the entire time? Because like there's there's a lot of pressure on the men to have their tops off the entire time. So did you feel any pressure heading into the house? Um, I mean, I didn't really have a, have a lot of time to, to work out, really. I mean, I, the week before, I'd been on a stag do, which, as you can imagine, that takes, you, takes its toll on your body. And obviously, I've worked full time, so I didn't really have a lot of time to... If you go in there sort of at the start of the show, you, you know, you've got a couple of months' notice to sort of get yourself in shape if you want to. And I, I really didn't have that notice. And you then get put into uh, like almost like isolation in a, in a hotel room for sort of two, three days before you go into the villa. And in that, you've got no gym, nothing. So you sort of start to sort of feel a bit flabby and not really up to scratch, but everyone's in the same boat for that. And that period of isolation, so you're in a hotel. Do you have a minder or a producer with you? Uh, so yes, yeah, so you have, um, I don't know what they, what they would call them, like a runner for a TV show. So they'll only come and get you for breakfast, lunch and dinner. So you're in, you're in your hotel sort of 24-7 and, uh, yeah, they just feed you three times a day. 
it's a bit horrific. It's like it's, it's like being in jail. Were you getting nervous? No, I wasn't. I wasn't really nervous in, in the hotel. I got to the point where I was getting fed up with being there. To, I debated sort of just cutting it off because I don't like being cooped up in a confined space. In, in my head, I sort of went for that. Now I'll give it a miss. Get me out of this hotel. <laughs> do they prepare you in any way? Like, do they give you prep on how to handle yourself, or you know? how to implant yourself into into the dynamics of the group already not really I, I think the um the casting process sort of does a lot of that filtering for them when they say just be yourself they've picked you because of who you are anyway and um they're very intricate with, with who they placed and what time they put them in and you know, what personality needs to go into the into the villa at what stage so it, it wasn't a case of you know at this way at that way it was it was be yourself be normal don't try and be anything that you're not but in that casting process did you feel like there was something that they were looking for in you were they looking for something in particular and did you have to play to that yes and no yeah I I felt like they were looking for an overly confident sort of late 20s the show is predominantly based around people in their in their early 20s um some of them sort of 19 sort of going in there at my age gives sort of another dynamic to it so I knew they was going to be looking for sort of someone like a confident late 20s so you know I mean that's who I am anyway I don't really shy away from anything so I knew that's sort of what they're after in me. We were talking to another Love Island contestant and she mentioned that when she was in that period of isolation she started to feel quite nervous and had a panic attack and she knew that she had to hide that from the producers because if they knew that she was anxious they wouldn't put her in is is there anything that you felt that you had to hide from the producers before going in I mean they're, they're quite hot on mental health aren't they so if you show any sort of I don't want to call it a weakness but that's the way that if you had that sort of anxiety that's the way you'd, you'd sort of feel about it if you had that and it cropped up you wouldn't want to show it in case they sort of you know they've got a duty of care if you're showing that now what are you going to be like in there and is it going to sort of damage you further so I could imagine that she felt a bit under pressure to hide it yeah and so when you were in that lockdown and you had said that you'd been watching the show up until that point do they cut you off from being able to watch the show at a certain point Point? Yes. So as soon as you fly out, obviously you, they'll, they'll cut you off from watching it. The night before you go in, they'll show you the episode that's just been released to the public. Were you formulating a strategy as to who you were going to go for or how you were going to implant yourself? I did at the time, but obviously the show gets released and it's one or two days behind. So you're then going in not having known the following two days actions or, or scenarios or whatever, whatever's happened. So I sort of did have an idea, not sort of who was who was vulnerable, but who was sort of open and accessible um, and obviously who, who you fancied. So I did have an idea of who I was going to uh, talk to at least. And was it strange going into this environment that you had been watching so closely from afar and now being in that world? It, yeah, it was so weird. Like very surreal after sort of watching it on telly and, and seeing little bits and pieces and, and then sort of walking into that environment. It's um, almost like a pinch me moment. And is it difficult to make relationships? Because I imagine like you feel like you know that person really well because you've been watching watching them for weeks but they've got no idea who you are did that play a part in making relationships you certainly got a, like a judgment of their personalities already so you you almost know who you'd get on with more so than others so yeah that did play a bit of a part having watched them for the majority of the three weeks um, that it was already on it almost gives you an upper hand whereas they know nothing about you and you've got sort of a slight inkling as, as to who they are did anyone surprise you did you think like oh i'll really get on with that person and then when you were met them you were like nah yeah, you know i mean they're all sort of fairly nice people i mean they're not going to put a an absolute idiot in there you know everyone's very easy to get on with the, the 
But one person that did surprise me was Dr. Alex. He was such a lovely bloke and one of the funniest people I've ever met. But he didn't, he hadn't come across that way on the show. He was hilarious. They hadn't portrayed him as, as like the funny guy, but he, he generally was. Do you think that certain elements of people's personalities kind of got shaved or crafted to fit what they wanted to portray? Maybe not what they wanted to uh, portray, but, you know, they've, they've got 45, 50 minutes to make a TV show out of 24 hours. So, you know, they're not going to get everything in there. And let's be honest, they only want the juicy stuff, don't they? The stuff that's going to make the, the show watchable and it's going to bring the audience back. They're not going to show the little quips and, and the little remarks that people make that in passing are very funny, but would make rubbish telly. And you end up starting a relationship with Megan. What drew you to her in the house? Um, well, I fancied her for one. That was a big help. And out of all the girls in there, she was pretty much the only one I sort of fancied. And we, we had quite a bit in common, you know, she, she was from Essex, I'm from Essex. We sort of liked the same stuff. We joked about the same stuff. You know, if I'd have met her on the outside, like, I think we would have been, we would have sort of got on there as well. And how did the relationship go? Were you developing real feelings and were you investing in it quite quickly? It went all right until I got kicked out. <laughs> yeah, it's going, it's going okay. I mean, yeah, I, I started to, to really like her. She was great fun. You know, she's, she's a sexy girl. Yeah, we started sort of getting on really well. You know, things happened for a reason and that didn't work out. So, you know, I don't hold that against anyone. The show has been criticised in the past for portraying male toxicity and allowing it to be passed off as banter. Do you recognise those moments when you watch the show and, and understand how problematic they could be? Do you know what? I, I don't recognise them as, as sort of being toxic. You go out into any town, any city, and you'll see boys, girls getting on, chatting up other birds, and it's, it's a high-pressure environment when you're in there. I mean, they push you towards playing each other off anyway, with the whole castle and morbid and splitting the couples up and splitting the boys and girls. They fuel the fire, so I don't think it's just the male toxicity, as you said. I mean, look, girls can be just as bad. And when you were saying that fueling of the fire, what is your relationship with the producers like when you're in the house do you feel like they are fueling conflict and tension between the guests i wouldn't say they're fueling conflict and tension but they do push you to do certain things say certain things speak to certain people and like they've got an agenda they know what's going to make good telly and with Casper and more they'll put people in that they think are a better match for a, for a couple that have been together and you know they, they've got to test that and that test is going to make brilliant tv you know there's no line about it that's that's why they do it did you find that you were ever in a situation where you were being forced into something that you didn't necessarily want to do? There were certain points where they'd come in and, and sort of push you to say a certain thing and you know push you towards certain people. There's one that cropped up which I didn't really agree with and they sort of pushed me quite hard into, into saying it. When Megan and, and Wes went for their sort of like lunchtime date outside the villa, Laura came up to me and said, you know, I, I think Wes deserves better than Megan. And I, I, I sort of that, took that as an off-the-cuff remark, you know, was it because she was a bit hurt because Wes had sort of left her for Megan? And I, I thought nothing of it. Later on that evening, um, I got pulled out and uh, one of the producers said to me, you know, are you going to tell tell Megan what Laura said? And uh, I'd forgotten about it, basically. I, it was that much of a quick remark. I'd forgotten about it. And she reminded me. I said, no, not really. I'm not going to say anything. You know, that was a conversation between me, me and Laura. It means it means nothing to me. So why, why would I try and stir things? She went, no, no, like, we want you to tell her. I was like, I don't want to tell her. Like, it's not going to get anyone anywhere. It's just going to cause a bit of animosity. And I sort of refused and refused and refused. I was outside for about 15, 20 minutes just sort of saying no. And they, the pressure they put on me to say that was, uh, was like, no, no, you have to tell her. You're going to tell her. So at that point, I sort of got fed up and just I went in and told her and told her what Laura said. And yeah, look, it made good telly, but it also made me look like a, 
a bit two-faced and a, and a bit of a bitch. But I didn't want to say it at all. But at that point, it was easier just to get the producer off my back and just go and say it. And I, I sort of regret regret giving in, really, because I'm actually quite a stubborn old boy. Did that affect the rest of your time in the house as well? Did that weigh on you? It affects the respect I had for the producers. Bearing in mind, the producers are mostly the same age as I am. You know, I was, I was one of the older older contestants, so I didn't see them as, as sort of as controlling this and maybe the younger contestants did. I almost saw them as my peers, so I wasn't going to get spoken down to and made to do something that I didn't want to do, albeit I went and set it. But yeah, that, that made me lose a bit of respect and yeah, that wasn't the best moment. And so then you come out of the house. What are the things that happen straight after going out of the house? Like what's the first two hours like? Um, so the first two hours, I was quite sad, you know. Have you ever left on like a holiday romance where you sort of found someone on holiday for two weeks and, or a week or whatever, really sort of clicked and then it's just taken away it, it was almost like that for me the first instance they put you into like a little cabin as you come out of the house and sort of you know you get your stuff together you then get a producer in with you and and a um, psychiatrist you need to speak to them being in that scenario for, for however long is you know is going to weigh on someone's mind you then get taken to uh, like a holding villa for the night uh, and then we spent the rest of the day there, and then we flew back the day after so so, so the first two hours are a bit up in the air you don't know what's really going to happen you, you're then not in control and you any more of your actions or what you do, you know, nothing's being watched. So the whole experience is quite surreal. And then you've got this kind of crazy week where you've got to do press and, you know, people know who you are now. What was that like, just noticing immediately how your life had changed when you when you came out? Complete and utter madness, if I'm honest. And I, I can only imagine how bad it is for the originals and, and the people that got sort of a big name off of it. You know, in, in the scheme of things, I'm a very small name um, that's been on there. And the first week was utterly crazy. Walking down the street and people are sort of shouting your name and coming up for pictures. And I got followed around Tesco's. It was strange, like my local Tesco's, where people would probably see me hundreds of times. But I've been on telly for a week. Now everyone thinks I'm... I'm something that I'm not and it's um yeah it's weird very weird and what was that thing that you're not you know people thought that you were something that you're not people think you're famous there's that guy from telly and you're not famous oh I'm not famous in the slightest and I didn't profess to be but people have that sort of they almost think you've got a bit of an aura about you and it's just it's just not at all I'm very down to earth kind of guy not famous did it make you feel uncomfortable or did it put a pressure on you do you know what it, it does in some some circumstances I'll tell you a little story where my dad lived he's got a few neighbours and you know, he's obviously seen me on the show and uh, you know there's a co-op down the road from him he's like oh, I've, t- I've told I've told the young lady in the co-op that you're coming to see me I was like okay mate because I said we'll go down there and you could say hello I was like what does this girl expect me to come down and I said I'm right I'll go and say hello to her, but it's odd that I've been on telly for five minutes and now me going to say hello to someone is, is suddenly a big deal. I said to my dad, I was like, you wouldn't make me go and say hello if I'm still doing my window cleaning job. And he's like, no. I said, what's the difference then? I'm still your son. There's no difference to you. He's like, yeah, yeah, but you've been in the papers and that. Dad, it doesn't matter. But he, he couldn't grasp it. He, said, he then thought I was this famous celebrity that's been on telly. I didn't really get it. Did it affect any of your close friends or family relationships like you saying you know your dad thought that you were something that that you weren't did it affect you no it didn't really affect any sort of family or friends my friends deep down know i'm a bit of an idiot anyway so they just sort of went along with it they they come to a few a few parties and a few events nothing really affected them they they you know they know who i am they know i'm not the guy that you know 90 percent of my followers think, think i am and you have spoken since coming out of the house about having suicidal thoughts was that a result of the show having come out 
and been in the bubble that Love Island puts you in. I said previously that I didn't have any expectations, being famous, wanting anything, blah, blah, blah. You then get thrust into an industry where it's go, 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 nonstop. You know, the, the money, you know, I, I didn't earn a massive amount, but the money gets thrown at you in, in some circumstances. And I thought, you know, this is it. I could, I could make something of this. Um, and then when it all sort of dwindles out and you're, and you're now old news, that was sort of a hard a hard pill to take for me and I went back to my old job I, I love my old job and, and, I'll, and I'll say now I, I like my life as it is now and I'm, I'm very happy but at, the, at that time I thought I'd failed you know I see other people still doing bits and in your head you sort of think you know is there something I could have done differently to sort of stay in there longer and it sort of eats you up and eats you up you know I was, I was driving to work it was sort of cold mornings late nights and it sort of et, et at you a little bit and that's when I thought I'd failed somewhere and I should have done something different. And then I started to sort of regret a few things. And that that's when sort of the um sort of those thoughts started to started to come into effect, you know, I'm gonna be stuck in doing this job forever, blah, blah, blah. So that's where um that's where that took me, yeah. And were you experiencing anxiety or, or panic or because you you've said before that you would look at a bridge and think, Yeah, I could go off of that. Like how did you start to notice these changes? I don't know. It was just it was just easy. The, the bridge thing wasn't going over. It was just it, I can sort of laugh and brush brush it off now. The bridge thing was just um, was just I was just going to drive into it. Um, I didn't want anyone to think that I'd planned it and I'd done it on purpose because I think that would have hurt people a lot more. So I was, I was just going to make it look like an accident. So you were really like crafting um and and really kind of giving deep thought to an exit yeah yeah it's um it's an easy way to go if you don't have your seatbelt on and what was the point that you realized oh shit like i should probably really get some help here um i i was doing some uh question things on my, on my instagram and someone sort of mentioned sort of mental health and i i just sort of said yeah mine, mine's a bit a bit shot and maybe I should talk to someone um, and I, I mentioned something about the producers and one, one of them followed me she's, she's a lovely girl to be fair and uh, she got in touch and she went look do you want to speak to the, to the psychiatrist again so, so I said yes spoke to um, the psychiatrist Marcy and we, we sort of chatted about stuff and you know where, where I wanted to take my life you know what what's good about it what's bad what we can change and all that sort of stuff and you know talking to someone really um, you know it, it, it did help and I then sort of started working better, got um, promoted at work, a bit more responsibility, and now I am where I am. And do you feel like it has helped and kind of put you in a better place and space? Yeah, yeah, definitely. At the time, I was I was in a horrendous sort of headspace. It wasn't fun to be around. I wasn't sort of nasty. I wasn't. I may have been quite sort of curt in the way I spoke to people and quite snappy. And I'm generally a happy-go-lucky sort of, sort of guy, and I hope that's the way it comes across. But at that time, I wasn't. And had you had any pre-existing mental health? issues at all before that no nothing at all I've been all good because that must really give you some whiplash to not really have any kind of reference point to feeling that low and then suddenly and suddenly there you are yeah I mean it's something that I had never experienced before and sort of having heard people speak about it you sort of brush off and, and the term sort of man up sort of comes up and you know just just deal with it blah 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 it's not a case of just dealing with it if, if you don't know how to deal with it you, you can't you know, you, you need the tools to be able to do it. I mean, I had exactly the same thing that kind of happened. I got home and I was fine for the first bit. And then it was like a couple of months later that I was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm in a lot of trouble and I do need to talk to someone. But my family 
doesn't really understand, well, at that point in time, they didn't understand seeking professional help or what really the full aspects of mental health. Did you find it difficult to explain how you were feeling to your family? I, I never spoke to my family about it until um, until someone ran a story in the paper and uh, my auntie saw it, who then rang my mother, and then my mother then rang me. So I then had to tell the family, say, look, you might see something in the paper about it. Um, you know, it's a, it's, it's a long time ago. And they, they were sort of shocked because the, the thing with mental health is you, you can hide it extremely well. You know, you, you can put on a mask, put on a brave face and, and you can get away with it for a bit of a time. So no no one really knew what, what was going on. And, the, and then they come and say, oh, why don't you talk? Why don't you talk? It's not a case of just why didn't you talk? You, you, you know, you don't want to put that almost like put that burden on them. But, you know, it is, it is best to talk to people. And, um, you know, your family's a great place to start. You know, they're not going to judge you. And so you were put in touch with some professional help from a producer on the show. Do you think that Love Island's aftercare program is effective? It's effective if you ask for it. They're not proactive in their aftercare. If you don't ask, you don't get. You might get the odd text message. How's it all going? But that would only be sort of a month after the show's finished. You know, for them, you know, then they need to plan plan the next show and find the next contestant. So they're not proactive in their in their um, aftercare, that's for sure. But if you ask for it, they they you know they they give you what you want. But it's the asking that's the hardest part, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, that's across the board with mental health. You know, it's always that's the hardest bit. Do you think that they could improve? Um, there must be something that they could improve on. It's, it's very hard to keep track of. I mean, how many contestants want it? That year, that thirty-eight, forty people in total. You can't check up on everyone all the time. I mean, that that that'd be impossible. But there almost needs to be a system in place where one month you check up, three month check up, six month check up. You know, and see how they're doing down the line. And until you know that that needs to sort of overlap the next series as well because you could get a wave of they're the new people on the block coming for the next series you you need to have an overlap of even going into the next series of the show just to make sure people are still doing all right you know because let's be honest the next series comes in you're you're old news everyone forgets about you you were the previous series so i I think like a, a system needs to be put in place yeah have you seen um that bbc show make me famous yeah i got interviewed for that right do you know what i really thought you had because i i was watching it and there were things i know that you've spoken about what was that like um so uh reggie yates the writer and a, and a producer for the show um, interviewed me for Make Me Famous. Um, he said, you know, we, we're talking to a few people from contestant side, producer side, and everyone sort of within that industry and, and that makes those TV shows. So I was happy. I told, told him the same story I, I sort of told you. And um, he said, yeah, brilliant. We, we're also going to use some of your story. I mean, I, it was uh, obviously based and, and put into place because of what um, happened to Mike. You know, he could he sadly can't give his his side of the story, and it's it's, it's a tragic story. So they need to sort of gather information for everyone. And yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I did watch it. I only watched it actually a few days ago. It's funny you should mention it. But yeah, it, it it hit home when certain aspects of sort of my version of events I could see in the show. It, it did hit home a bit. What bits really resonated with you? The sort of the loneliness and the and where he sort of overdosed and uh, it's, it's the videos that you take for Instagram where you have to put on your character for Instagram and and you know prom- promote what you don't want to promote. The bit that I, that resonated the most when he went to his mum's and he filmed his mum and filmed him, and I just went fuck, I've done that, I've done that, and I was and I was really embarrassed watching it going, I've done that with my own mum, 
and it's it's just it's just all crap, isn't it? The whole Instagram Instagram world is just awful. But yeah, that that resonated, and I then I sent the link for that show to um to a few people, including my mum and including a girl I was seeing, and I sort of said, you know, watch this, let me know what you think. They both sort of said, goes like, said, yeah, it's really interesting. And she goes, is that sort of what happened to you? And I just went, the majority of that is what happened to me. I said I interviewed and gave uh, gave Reggie a load of information for for the character, and then they sort of saw why I was then in in that headspace that I was, and they then understood why. It is an eye opener for people to watch it, and um, it, it's all smoke and mirrors. Instagram, you, you never know what's going on behind closed doors. Are you okay after watching it? Yeah, yeah, no, fine, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, watching the show, it felt. I knew that you had to have had some kind of association because it, it felt so authentic, like it like it had actually happened. It felt very thoroughly researched. And, I mean, Love Island now, arguably, you mentioned Mike, Sophie, Caroline, it's had three fatalities. What is it about the experience that puts people in that headspace? I don't really know specifically. You know, everyone... everyone goes through their own own scenario with it. But I, I wonder if it's, you know, it's, it's peaks and troughs and, and on the way up to the top, it's a steep peak and you sort of get there instantly. It's a hell of a drop on the other side. As I said, when that when that new wave of contestants comes through, you're old news. You do not matter anymore. And it, it is, um, it's a drop off a cliff when, when that happens. And that's when I said you need to, the aftercare needs to sort of overlap the next series just to take care of that. I was wondering, because we have spoken to a couple of Love Island people now. Are there any ongoing contractual obligations that you have to fulfil in how you speak about the show? Uh, not anymore, I don't think. I believe there was, I think there was obligations for a year. But yeah, I th- I'm, I'm well past that, so I can I can say what I want in freedom now. <laughs> <laughs> I interviewed for, um, I don't know if you heard, Victoria Derbyshire's show. See, so I, I went on that a couple of months after I, I came out of the villa and there was two other girls on there from previous series so their obligations had gone and they could speak the truth but I had to sort of white lie about everything and and not say the truth which was awkward because they knew who I was lying but I I had to sort of cover the producers and and sort of fulfill my contractual obligations and and they didn't so they were they were sort of open and going for it and I was like well that doesn't really happen (laughs) <laughs> and I was sat there, I, was, I knew I was lying. So what white lies did you have to... So the fact that producers come into the villa, you know, they're in every, every 15, 20 minutes. They sort of, sort of prompt you about who to talk to, what, what sort of scenarios to sort of bring up. And, and the girls on the, on the show were saying, you know, they come in every 15, 20 minutes. I was like, do they? That's, uh, that, they didn't when I was in there. <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. You know, you had to keep it quite harsh. I was a bit embarrassed. I come out, I was like, look, I'm not, I've got to say what I've got to say. And, and they go... I know that like we was there last year, like, but we can say what we want now. So that, that was a bit awkward. Is there now that you are out of those obligations? Are there misconceptions that you want to put straight? Are there things that you think is important that people know? Not really misconceptions. I, I think people know it's pushed in a certain direction, but there is a lot of input from producers, sort of all the way through. They sit you with sit with you at at lunch and dinner they're in with you you know as I said every 15-20 minutes if someone's talking about something that they don't like you know they'll go and stop that conversation you know it's not Big Brother there are certain restrictions and it's not a, not a free-for-all Now that you know everything that you know about Love Island would you do it again? Having got to where I am now and I'm now happy with the life I'm in yes I would Could I do it differently? Maybe Maybe I'd play the game better because that's what it is. It's a game show. And I, I think I went in there not having that scenario in my head. 
So I think I'd play the game a bit better. And how do you think it is that you play the game better? If I'd have really thought about it, and if I wanted to go in there for the wrong reasons, I would have seen who the fan favourite was and then got close to them and then gone through that way. I'm not really a game player and I, I haven't been sort of, you know, that, that, that's not really my style. But I think that's what a lot of people do to sort of prolong their time in, in the villa. You know, the, the longer you get, the more famous you are. That's the long and short of it. That was never my intention. I went in there with sort of good intentions. And as you said, you know, if I found love, then, then brilliant. You know, I didn't. If I wanted to play the game better and sort of get the longevity, then I could, I could have played it. And would you let your hypothetical daughter go on to Love Island? Ooh, what a question. Yes. Because one, I can't be a hypocrite. <laughs> <laughs> Two, I think it's easier for girls on the show. But yeah, no, I, I can't. I can't tell someone not to do something that I've done, you know. And how do you think it's easier for girls on the show? I, I just think I think it's easier when you come out, you get more thrown at you. And the boys is a bit of a struggle. I mean, you, you sort of look look through the history of it. The girls tend to be more well known. You know, they they monetize it a lot better coming out. Where the boys sort of struggle with fitness inspiration posts and blah blah blah. Where the girls have got a free for all on sort of like the clothing and makeup, and there's, there's there's a lot more industries that girls can go into afterwards. So I'd say it's easier for girls to uh, to do well after than it is is for guys. And you said that you are at a place now in your life that you're very happy with. How did you get back to normal life? Well, look, I went I went back to work, and after having spoken to the psychiatrist, you know, we sort of we almost got a bit, bit of a plan in place where, you know, what, what did I want? Did I want to be with someone? Did I want to further my career at, at work? You know, I got, I got a promotion sort of, sort of working, and I like the position I'm in. Previously did start seeing someone, and I sort of started to enjoy that. But one of the good things that's happened and sort of made me, I won't say, I won't say normal, but back to reality is is the fact that there's now been a number of seasons and I'm happier that I'm old news and that people don't recognise me and it doesn't get awkward when you're out and you don't get stopped in Tesco's and I'm back to normal and that is where I like to be. I, do, I just like being a normal guy. And that concludes my interview with Alex Miller. I really take my hat off to Alex for speaking so candidly about his journey post-Love Island. It's well documented that men are three times more likely to commit suicide than women. That is largely thought to be a result of undiagnosed depression and mental illness. So as the UK goes into its second lockdown, the US election plagues the American people, and the entire world just seems like one big deleted scene from Black Mirror, I think that it's really commendable and important that Alex has spoken so publicly about his own struggles. He sets an example that it's okay to be vulnerable, it's okay to talk about your feelings and it's okay to ask for help. This podcast was produced by Hugo Chiarella for Unlikely Productions. The dulcet melody that you are listening to right now was crafted by Robert Tripolino. If you reckon this podcast is a bit of all right, please tell your mates, post about the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes to help other people find the show. Come on, get a girl out there. You can also follow me at gjoska on Instagram. Yeah, I know, that's G-J-O-S-C-A. Not my best, not my worst. You can also follow me at Gab on Twitter. It's my name, but backwards. Hey, we should do this again sometime.